You're listening to the Vanu Podcast, the podcast making you invulnerable to the coercion of the state and the servile society. Visit our website for free resources to aid you in your pursuit of self-liberation, old Vanu publications, podcasts, guest articles, and much more. Go to VanuPodcast.com. And now, your hosts, Shane and Jason. All right, and welcome to the Vanu Podcast, the podcast making you invulnerable to the coercion of the state and the Servile Society. I'm your host, Shane, coming to you live from the homestead, my Vanu home base uh, here in Southern Illinois. Uh, this podcast, everything found on the website, is covered by BIPCOTS, no government license, so as reuse and modification to anyone except for governments and the agents thereof. Uh, learn more by visiting BIPCOT.org. So I'm going to take a look at the live stream real quick and just make sure audio levels are coming through okay. And it uh, looks like they are no drop frames, which is surprising. I'm on satellite internet here, guys. And uh, yeah, 0.0% drop frames. So that's pretty incredible. Right on. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll get to it then. We'll get to it. So this is a live stream, of course. If you, uh, please feel free to leave any questions or comments uh, in the live chat. And it looks like we do have some folks here already. Uh, Phoenix of Liberty back. Uh, great to see you. Uh, great to see you here. And it looks like i got another handful of other viewers uh, here as well. So uh, certainly welcome to uh, the Vani podcast. Uh, so uh, before I bring in my special guest this afternoon, uh, whom uh, you can see on the screen, um, I have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first off, until January 1st, uh, we're running a 50% off special for our proofreading and editing services over at Liberty Intertech Publications. Uh, so if you're an author and have a manuscript you've been wanting to get a professional set of eyes on, I'd love to help. Uh, on the other hand, if you're a journalist and uh, want another set of eyes on your articles, uh, we can help with that too. Uh, just email me, shane at libertyunderattack.com or visit libertyunderattack.com forward slash publish uh, for more information or to schedule a strategy call. Uh, you can also check out all of our books at libertyunderattack.com. Uh, we have a dozen or so out right now, uh, many of them on Vanu, all of them on self-liberation. Uh, so if you dig the content of this, pod- of this podcast, uh, you'll love our publications. Uh, if you'd like to get a free few books to sample what we have to offer, just visit libertyunderattack.com and uh, sign up for LUA Publications email updates. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's get on with it. On today's intermission episode, I welcome, I welcome uh, Lily Forrester back to the podcast. On December 9th, just over a year ago, I interviewed John Galton and, uh, and her at uh, their home in Acapulco, Mexico, right near the end of my month uh, and a half-long vacation there. Uh, they introduced, introduced me to DABS, the carnivore diet, and uh, they reconfirmed what I already knew. Uh, lifestyle changes, whether diet-based or self-liberation-based, are really the most efficacious paths towards personal freedom uh, and just personal development. When I left their house the last time, uh, it was a, I think it was a, a, risk, a risk game night, actually. Um, I told them both I would be back and then I wouldn't be so broke next time. Uh, I mentioned uh, money here as John, John and Lily were both so generous, with their, uh, generous and hospitable, and uh, especially when it came to, came to uh, you know, the, uh, the meat lunches that uh, Hens, would, would, Hens and I would go over there and have. So I always enjoyed my time with them, and I knew, that, uh, I, was, I, I, knew the, I knew then that I was inspired by their story, and I wanted to help out in uh, whatever way that I could. Fortunately, though, uh, just a couple short months later, John was killed and uh, Jason Henza, my buddy that I went down to uh, Acapulco with to begin with, uh, was shot. Since February, Lily has been rebuilding her life. She's now out of Acapulco, I think, but uh, still in Mexico. So yeah, on this very special live stream, we'll get an update on uh, how things have been going. We'll see what she's been up to and uh, whatever else we get to. And uh, of course, your questions. Uh, so Lily, welcome back to the Vani podcast. Uh, I'm really, really happy to be chatting with you again. We've been uh, talking a lot over messaging, over, uh, over fascist book messenger, but uh, it's good to, good to have you back on the podcast. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing, I'm doing well. And 
forever surrounded by yarn right now, getting ready for an Arcapulco, but yeah, things are going, things are going well. I like where I'm at. I currently live in like a sort of a cabin. There's a monarch, giant monarch on the wall and life's simple. Life's good. It's been a long road to get here though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can I can only imagine, we'll, and we'll certainly uh, we'll certainly talk about that. But uh, so I know we talked about your story in our first discussion, and uh, you've discussed it. Uh, you just discussed it in quite some depth on uh, depth on Thaddeus Russell's podcast. But I'd, I'd really like to to, to begin there. Um, well, I guess first off, we'll, we'll just start with a, a brief introduction. Uh, could you just uh, for for those who missed our first uh, first conversation, or uh, for those that uh, just don't know who you are, uh, who, who's Lily Forrester? Uh, who's Lily Forrester? Who are you, and what do you do? Well, people know me as Lily Forrester, but in reality, I'm not Lily Forrester. Um, I'm somebody else, and I had to pick a new name in Oregon when we were on the run in Mexico. We already knew we were coming to Mexico, but and we knew we needed to pick fake names, but I didn't think about it until we landed in Oregon, and some hippie lady was like, what's your name? And I was like, shit, I'll get back to you. And then like a little while later, I came back to her with Lily Forrester and I actually was made fun of by John for picking that name. It's like, could you pick anything more plant-based? But yeah, we realistically, I've been like in a lot of ways oppressed by the drug war since birth. My parents met because of weed. My dad was buying weed off of my drug dealer mom When my mom found out she was pregnant, she was arrested that day for weed possession. And she told my dad as she was getting arrested, by the way, I'm pregnant. So it's been a deep part of my life since the beginning. And as I became an adult and became an anarchist, it just became even more of a big part of my life. Eventually, we ended up like five years, almost Almost five years in our relationship, we got arrested and charged with five felonies each, all related to cannabis. And we were like, we'd already thought of going to Mexico. At one point, we had like 125 Bitcoin and we considered going to Cambodia, but Bitcoin was only worth like $100 a coin at that point. So we were like, oh, shoot, we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. So we spent it trying to live off grid. And then eventually the arrest happened and we were both thinking the same thing in the holding cell of... I guess it's time to go to Mexico, which wasn't even really a place we considered heavily. We more considered Southeast Asia heavily because it was far away from the United States. But we figured our best chance in the situation that we were in was Mexico. And my mom being who she was, me going on the run really wasn't much of a stretch because, well, she spent six years of my childhood on the run, but in the same state that she was arrested. So... We left and we crossed the border with nothing and made it to Mexico because our friend loaned us the money to get there and drove with us and paid for a place for us to live for the first few months. And it was from that point forward up until the murder, a never ending hustle, which included Anarcha Forco. And that was kind of our way to offer what we thought Anarcha Polco was missing But yeah, then the murder happened and it's just been kind of me rebuilding once again, (laughs) but this time on my own, which has been in some ways exhilarating, but pretty hard for the most part. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I guess yeah, where 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 to uh, where, where where to begin here? So I guess I, I mean I I really want to I really want to talk start. I guess we'll start with the, the rebuilding portion because uh, I know after you know as you said and after yeah as you said after John's murder, uh, clearly your entire life changed. Uh, the the person you you went on the run to Mexico with um, was gone, and now you had to kind of figure things out for yourself. Uh, so you 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 began a rebuilding process of sorts. So um, I mean obviously some Venuans, um, whether it's this uh, well whether it's this tragic or not. Um, you know, m- many Venuans will face, uh, you know, um, they'll face uh, some coercive act and they'll have to try to rebuild after that. So I guess, um, could you talk a little bit about uh, about uh, how things changed and, and how, you, how, how you even, I guess, began the process of rebuilding your life? Well, the process of rebuilding was kind of a slow process, although, like, to where I'm at now, I guess it was quick, but it felt slow at the time. Um, but, like... Something that was interesting about what happened to me was it wasn't just the loss of a life. It was the loss of everything we worked for because the cops stole virtually everything I cared about and had worked for over the last three years, my dogs included. So I was left with nothing but the clothes that I was wearing, a cell phone with a broken microphone, and that was it. And it was, yeah, it was just like trying to deal with that huge monumental loss. Then it was the fact that I made all of my money online and I had no cameras. I had no computers. I had nothing like the the computer I use. Henza happened to have, and he told me if I get my computer back, he wants it back. But if not, well, it's mine. Well, I'm still using it. My camera now is donated. Um, Most of my rebuilding process in the beginning was due to donations. It was people donating for my legal fund people donating for me to live and eat and essentially exist until I found a way to start standing up. Um, My first way of actually making money after the murder and bringing in anything was working for Smart Cash. I I built the website that I blog from sometimes, not as much as I should, but I built highly functional growth and I actually approached them because they were smart cash sponsors. Like, Hey, I can write about smart cash, make a little money, hopefully. And their response was, why don't we just hire you? Mm -hmm. So they did. And I've been working for them ever since it's been for the better part of this year that I've been working for them. And it's just been a process of snagging other you know, remote jobs, but I have more difficulty to deal with because I don't have any paperwork. I can't use programs like Upwork and Freelancer.com and Fiverr or any of those because they can't legally pay me because I can't put out my tax information because I am a fugitive. So I've been basically relying on my network of friends. You know, I work for you for uh, Liberty Under Attack publications. I... Now I help edit this podcast. I write for the Homestead Guru and I'm helping my friend, you know, sell his silver. And it's basically like any little jobs I can do that, that makes sense. I do them. <laughs> sure. It's a good thing. Life is cheap in Mexico because my rent's only 85 us dollars a month. So my costs, you know, I, I spend more on my meat every month than I do on, on my rent. <laughs> <laughs> right right so so i guess what what have been uh what, what have been uh the most difficult parts i guess in the through, uh, throughout this process uh, throughout this rebuilding process and have there been any parts that you thought were that you thought would be more difficult that that didn't that didn't end up be could, could you uh, speak to that 
Well, I mean, there's like the whole thing in some ways has been pretty, pretty fucking difficult. Finding work has been difficult, but like when I consider it, you know, in reality, it hasn't been that difficult because like I've been able to support myself for the most part. And when I haven't been able to, I've had friends who have donated to me. Um, so in regards to that, like supporting myself has been easier. Surviving in general has been easier. Staying out of the government's eye has been remarkably easy considering how, you know, I was famous dreadlocked lady, which obviously this is changing, but, um, I can say I expected like dating to be harder and like, I've, you know, I haven't had to go on one bad date because I just kind of determined what I wanted and what I didn't want and it kind of fell into my lap. And the hardest part has probably just been dealing with things like PTSD and dealing with things like despair because it's really easy to tell you yourself that your life totally sucks and there's no coming back when you're a fugitive. You just lost everything. You had no money when you lost everything. and But... Yeah, it kind of taught me that there. I have more community around me than I originally thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I can, I can certainly, certainly yeah. under, understand all of that. Now, I, I, I have to, I have to ask. I, um, so, so you, uh, you left Acapulco, didn't you? Um, I guess. Uh, do, do you miss it at all? Yeah, I miss it a lot, but I don't miss the climate. And I don't miss the cops. Something I realized when I left Acapulco is it's actually like the only place in Mexico that has more cops than Acapulco does is Mexico City. And I left Acapulco for two reasons. One of them was the cops. They saw me. They knew me. They chased me. I fought with them. I bit one of them. Like, you know, it was it was extremely stressful. So I just had to stay inside in Acapulco and that wasn't really doing much for my healing. And the other thing was when I did go outside, it was always somebody knew me and was like, where's your esposo, which esposo means husband. And I was just like, so I had to re-explain to everybody like, well, he's dead now. And they'd all look at me like, why are you still here? (laughs) And I just kind of like, I wasn't getting anywhere in terms of like my emotional healing. It was still just a big fresh open wound and I still felt like I was in hiding and yeah, because I was, I didn't, there was like a point where I didn't leave my house for six weeks. And that point was probably when I talked to Thaddeus Russell the most, we were texting all day and he was just keeping me sane, like keeping me from losing my mind, convincing me that I needed to leave Acapulco, even though I was kind of refusing in some ways. But yeah, I left. Um, I've traveled around, like, not a whole lot because I can't really afford to, but it's cheap enough in Mexico and I have friends willing to drive me places to where I've, you know, been able to look around and figure out where I want to live as far as climates and stuff like that. Um, Where I found now is actually a lot colder than Acapulco and I'm kind of wondering because within the next two months, I'm not sure when I'm going back for Anarchapulco, and I'm just wondering how I'm going to handle the heat, because here, like, you know, I don't know if you can see this, but I'm wearing a hoodie. It's cold, like, (laughs) it's cold in the mornings, and it's cold at night, and it's kind of warm during the days, but, like, it's just a completely different atmosphere. People are completely different. It was just very refreshing, though, getting out of Acapulco, getting to somewhere else and having people just look at me like I'm a tourist again instead of, holy shit, 
she's still here. Because that's all I got in Ock. Everybody knew us. Everybody yeah. knew us. And then they see me still around and they expect, you know, something like that to happen. And I go skipping back to the United States. And I don't think most of them understood the fact that I just, I couldn't even if I wanted to. Right, right. Yeah, and and, and I guess uh, you, you mentioned uh, about Acapulco. And I guess I was maybe in a little bit of denial about it when I was there. But, I mean, yeah, Acapulco is definitely a police state. Like, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, like, uh, going from, from Bonfil, um up to your place. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, there, there's a lot of cops there. Um, so it's, many, it's so many fucking cops. I was, I was seriously in denial about it. And then I went to Mexico City and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's Mexico. There's lots of cops. And then I get to, the, like, my next landing place. And I was like, where are all the cops? And my friend was basically like, oh, they have a deal with the cartel and the cartel pays them to stay home. And I was like, oh, so there's like no cops here. You know, I could go out and I could I could get in a essentially like sort of taxi where I could go from my house to the center of town, which was like a 40 minute ride. And I wouldn't see one police officer. And then the police officers I did see in the center of town were doing things like standing outside of banks or directing traffic. There were a lot of cops on bikes there. So, like, I I witnessed a car accident once, and then, like, two minutes later, I see cops biking down a street coming towards the car accident to help. <laughs> yeah. That was the kind of thing I was seeing instead of, like, what you see in Acapulco, which is federal, municipal, tourist police, and military all over the place, all the fucking time, like... Yeah. Yeah, it's uh I don't know like it, it's obvious, right? I mean, I mean you can't you can't not see it if you're in Acapulco, but yeah, I mean I was in a little bit of denial about it, I think. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's no, I obviously not I, I was never well, like, har- I was, I was never harassed. Obviously obviously you've 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 talked about your your uh, encounters with with police there. But yeah, there's just a lot there's a lot of them. <laughs> like uh, like the way we we used to justify it was like Mexico has, like, a mandatory, because there's especially a lot of military in Acapulco, so Mexico has a lot of, like, man. it has a mandatory military force, basically, so, like, a lot of people are drafted, but the thing is, Mexico's not at war with anybody, so all of their soldiers are just home walking around, so we just justified it as, oh, they're just, you know... They're showing their force, they're doing all that, but like, you know, they're, it's not, it's not anything to be concerned about. And like, we were right in regards to the military, but we were getting harassed a lot by federal and municipal police. I got chased in Henza's car. Actually, he, he freaked out on me a little bit for it. Um, but I got chased driving his car with him in it just by a cop that had recognized us. I have this video that I only show to people in person, but it was basically a time when we got chased on the motorcycle and then the cops tried to steal our motorcycle and tow it. And it was the help of like 50 Mexicans that swarmed around the cops and started yelling at them, basically leave them the fuck alone. They're tourists. And they let us go. And that cop saw me that day and he knew what happened because, well, it was two weeks after the murder and I was driving around and I was by myself. So he tried, he thought I was going to be weak alone and that I was just going to stop and, you know, do what he wanted alone. And I, I didn't. <laughs> right. And I proved him wrong. I think I did send a message. Like I had a couple of 
close call altercations with the police. But by the time I left, like I could walk around the city with friends and then they'd stare at me, but they wouldn't approach me, I think, because they were just like, she's not going to comply. Right. It's gonna be just more, leave more, it alone. It's, it's going to be more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, since, since, yeah. since we're on the subject of, uh, of law enforcement and such, I mean, and, and, and you, you mentioned it a moment ago, um, I'm, I'm sure you saw that the, the federal tyrants here in the U.S. are considering legalizing cannabis. So I'm curious what, what, your, current, what your current legal situation is and, you know, what, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, those who falsely imagine themselves to be our rulers, you know, decide to be more benevolent about marijuana. I mean, what, uh, what, what legalization might mean for you? Well, well, the thing with that bill is I've actually covered that for the Homestead Guru because I wanted to know what the hell they were talking about. The thing with that bill is it does actually, like, it's, it is actually, for a legalization bill, it's a damn good bill and has a surprising amount of support. It's already passed the key committee. But, like, the part that's damn good about it is it kind of, the point of it is to right the wrongs of the drug war and, you know... Any cases that are still open will be retried, as they put it, and any cases that are closed, the records will be expunged, or that's the idea of it if it's passed. Um, my legal situation is still very shaky. I'm still on the run. I still don't have any papers. I'm still trying to figure that out, which is part of like why I got the hell out of Acapulco away from cops who know that. Um, at least until I look different. I'm hoping they don't recognize me now that I've gotten rid of my, my dreadlocks, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's basically, I'm waiting to see what happens with that. And hopefully at Anarchapulco and through a job that I might get, I can raise enough money to hire a lawyer back home. My ideal is to just regain my old identity by getting them to drop the charges. Part of my inspiration for this is I'd mentioned my mom, who's been on the run for, well, was on the run for six years. That ended by her paying a lawyer $3,000 and he just got the charges dropped, saying that she was trying to move on with her life and that she hadn't committed any more crimes and all of that. She didn't even have to go to court because she was afraid to go to court because she was afraid if she walked in, they were going to arrest her. Right. So I'm hoping I can find a lawyer who's able to pull that off for me. Cause like my mom's crimes were heroin distribution, something I consider a lot worse than having a bunch of shit that you, you know, related to weed that you shouldn't have right. in your car. But yeah, my long-term plan is hopefully to hire a lawyer, get that fixed and then find some way to get a passport without going to the United States. I've heard of people who have done that before and find a way to leave Mexico without being noticed and re-enter legally is my long-term plan. But it's, that's going to take like, my guess is between three and 10,000 us dollars, depending on the lawyer and how much he wants to charge me as well as other things. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of just a waiting game. I've basically been waiting to see what happens with that bill, but it seems like they just voted on the key committee and then are going to leave it on the shelf for a while. So if I make enough money at Anarchapulco to pay a retainer, I'm going to contact a lawyer and be like, what What can be done? How do we right. fix this? I'm done. Because I'm, I'm tired of being on the run. Like, it's being an outlaw in some ways does have its perks and, like, 
I inspire a lot of people, but my life is extremely difficult. I have no access to the banking system. I can't travel without worrying about things like deportation, and I'm tired of it, especially because I'm finally building a life that I really enjoy. You know, I don't want to go back to the United States. And it's likely, like, if I were to be deported, that I would, you know, my charges would be dropped or my sentence greatly reduced just because of how much time it's been and all of that, but... And, you know, I could I could also blame all of it on John and they just let me go, but I will have been deported. And the last person I know to have been deported from Mexico, it took him two and a half years to get back. Hmm. And I'm not interested in waiting that long. Right, right. So so you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back to the States. You just you just want to you just want to reenter Mexico legally. Is that that's that's kind of your plan then? You're long. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I want to. I want to like find a way to leave Mexico without like getting in trouble for having a visa, or I could pay a lawyer here to get me a visa and then just not have to leave at all. But my whole like point for getting legal so I can have access to the banking system and not have to fear deportation. I don't like. I I give. I could you know get all my charges dropped a day and be told I could go home, but I'm not going to because I, you know, I don't miss the only thing I say this often. The only thing I miss about the United States is the, the chain of grocery stores, Aldi. That's really? it. Couple of people and Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, I've got a couple messages in chat here. So Phoenix says, uh, sounds like she needs a dark lance. That was, it must've been a little bit ago. <clears throat> But uh, yeah, Darklands, um, yeah, the the, the uh, free, an anonymous freelancing platform that uh, that I was working on that I wrote the white paper for. Um, that's uh, yeah, on hiatus, but yeah, um, be be nice if it was if it was uh, if it was an option uh, for sure. Um, and uh, Phoenix uh, also asks Quantos uh, Parlos uh, Sombreros. So uh, how much is it? Uh, how much did the oh, uh, how much the hats cost? It's, it, it depends on how much like what they're made of, but they're going to be from like three to six hundred pesos um yeah because like some of them like the green one that i've shared is like an alpaca blend so that one's going to be more expensive where like the black one with the green edge that one's going to be more like 350 pesos because that's mostly acrylic with like an alpaca edge to it it just depends on the material that goes into it um but for those who are not coming to Anarchapulco that still want to buy my crochet things, they can. They just have to wait for, realistically, when Jason Jason Henza goes back to the United States and ships them. Because, like, that's my current plan for distributing my art without having... Because it's, like, it's, like, I don't know, $26 for shipping from anywhere in Mexico to the United States for a small package like that. Just a little ridiculous. So it's easier to just wait for Henza and other friends because I have other friends that go back on a regular basis and just have them take it with them and ship it when they get over the border for, you know, $2. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. International shipping is uh, is a pain. I've had to. Uh, well, I I put up. Uh, I put. I guess. Uh, put it out on Instagram. Um, yeah. If you guys don't follow me on Instagram, I'm pretty actually actually act pretty pretty active over there. But uh, but yeah, I shipped out uh, two self liberation bundles, so like seven or eight. I guess uh, what was it? Seven or eight pounds worth of books um, to Japan and Canada. It cost. Uh, I think it was eighty dollars for Japan and fifty dollars for Canada. So yeah, I mean it can be it can be yeah, rather rather expensive, but. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sounds, a like, little sounds like you've got some resources, though. <laughs> sounds like you've got some options. Yeah, I mean, like I've said it before, I'd, I'd kind of be nothing without my friends because I depend on them greatly for everything from, like, bringing and taking stuff to the United States to driving me around Mexico to loaning me money when I need it, you know, when one of, cause my, my, none of my jobs currently are like super reliable and, or if they are reliable, they don't cover all my costs. So right. I'm sometimes left scrambling. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just can't even imagine, um, like, uh, I, I do, I, I use Bitcoin a lot for Elliot publications, obviously, but, um, but obviously like I still use PayPal a decent amount. Um, and I, 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 and there are, I guess a few things that'd be, it'd be rather difficult to not have, to not have PayPal. So yeah, I mean, I can, I can only imagine, yeah, it's, it's, it's got, it's gotta be a little difficult. Yeah. For example, like, like half of the donations that I got for legal funds were through PayPal and I had to have other people set up and, you know, do the PayPal stuff from even to this day, like occasionally somebody will be like, how can I donate to you? I'm like, well, crypto is the easiest. And they're like, I don't know how to use Bitcoin. And it's like, let me find a friend who's close by that has PayPal that they're willing to let me use. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess another thing I want to talk about, uh, uh, talk about for a little bit, it's something I've been, I've been really looking forward to, especially since I learned about the, the, I guess, uh, the, the change of, uh, the change of direction or focus rather is, uh, the stateless documentary. Do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, like I don't necessarily know everything that's going on with the documentary. I do know that they have taken a more of a focus on telling the story of John and I partially because it is such a big story. I know they're still planning on including like the other key characters, at least to the extent to where they're involved with my story. And, but I think it is like at this point, they, they went and they visited my dad and they filmed him for like 10 hours. Yeah. They went and visited my sister. They went to John's memorial service. They came to Morelia and Pet Squirtle with me for day of the dead. And film to that and from my understanding they're planning on bringing my dad to Anarchapulco they're at least coming to Anarchapulco to film that um because well it is kind of a full circle thing because of all the years that I've lived in Acapulco I've never been invited to speak until this year I think if I'm being honest the main reason I think they invited me was because of the story but it was also because if I'm willing to come, then they can still spin the idea that Acapulco is safe. Because if anybody's going to be afraid of coming to the conference, it's me. Um, my my main concern, like, the crime in Acapulco has gone a little bit nuts in the last year. But my main concern isn't necessarily the crime because they do kind of keep tourists out of it. it my main concern is getting there <laughs> without yeah. being deported. But yeah, they're they're still working on the project, but it's partially because, like, in some ways, it's become about how I've handled everything and how I'm still surviving. Because they could have ended it at the murder, but they're going to have a lot of fans that are like, "What the fuck happens next? Right? What happened to Lily?" <laughs> so this is their way of covering what happens to me and you know sharing the whole story, as well as like a lot of people are like how in the hell, you know, do these two young people make the choice to leave their home country without paperwork 
without money to go to Mexico to restart their lives. Like what leads to that? And it is kind of important to cover that because most people don't know what it takes. You know, like I often say, I don't think I would have taken the life choices that I had if I didn't have my mom and my mom, you know, is essentially the one who inspired me to think outside of the box and to avoid being caged. And she gave me my, healthy mistrust for the cops from a young age like my mom had me trained from the time i was five years old on to know what the what the knock of a cop sounded like compared to the knock of her friends yeah and what to do if the cops knocked you know it was basically to hit the floor and go and hide somewhere it was most people didn't have that experience and there are a lot of people also that like they desire to live statelessly, but they don't understand the consequences of living statelessly in a world that there are still clearly very powerful states. Anarchy itself is not dangerous, but anarchy, like, in the face of governments and, you know, being online and socially active the way I am, is mm-hmm you know, there's a danger to that. Like, there's already been a, li- a life loss because of it, like... I still, you know, it's still a very real possibility that I can lose my freedom. And that's, you know, that's all shit that a lot of people don't consider. There's a lot of people out there that are like, I'm hashtag woke, you know. I listen to this person on YouTube. I watch this podcast. I argue with people on Facebook and I share funny memes. But when it comes to actually living in anarchy, they still pay their taxes. You know, they still apply for their passport, their permission to leave the country. They still get visas when they go to another country. Like, I don't know anybody else that lives the way I do. And I've lost a lot because of the way I live, but I've also learned a lot and I have a lot more freedom than a lot of people do. Right. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's to show like what happens to people when you choose to live in anarchy. A lot of people, like I've noticed, like, they become a little bit more reserved and a little more hidden. Like Erica Harris, you know, she moved to Belize and she still writes and she still works and she's still doing her thing in anarchy, but she's not as forward about what she does because I think on some level she realizes that there, you know, the state considers that to be an enemy. Anybody who's actively living against what they tell you to live like, is an enemy. I see it on a constant basis in the United States when my friends get arrested for simple things, you know, things right. that you can do here in Mexico just because they don't enforce the laws. But and it's we can say that like we should live in anarchy and all it all we want, but the reality is we don't. We can try, and we can try to make our lives more free, but, like, there's still a state that's going to be breathing down your back, watching you and paying attention for you doing something different and trying to punish you when you do and when you inspire people. There are a lot of friends that theorize that what happened to John was actually a government hit, that it wasn't, you know, like, that what Paul was involved, but maybe he was hired by the government to come here and dismantle the community and make, make the community lose credibility. Hmm. And, you know, I've wondered that. I've wondered, did what happened to John and I happen because we were living too free and we were being honest about where we lived and all the things we were doing and our habits and we were inspiring people to get out of the system? 
Like, was that just too much for what they wanted? It's something I wonder very, very often. It's part of why I still share a lot about my life, but I don't share where I'm living. When I do go places and share about my travels, I wait until I've left that place for weeks before I share anything that, you know, I saw because I'm just... I'm kind of paranoid about it now. I don't know what really happened there. I do know that it was a paid hit, but like behind the scenes, was there a CIA or an FBI like, hey, let's crush these people? Because in a lot of ways, they did. Yeah, yeah. That I, I, I guess I, I, I guess I hadn't thought of that. Uh, hadn't thought of that possibility myself. Hmm. 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 Yeah, and and I guess. Um, and 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 it's it's kind of like uh, here in the states. I mean, uh, you know, like there are plenty of tax evaders, right? P- plenty of people that don't pay their taxes. But the people that really get caught and get caught quick are the people that try to explain how to actually, you know, exploit those loopholes. So um, I think, uh, you know, like it's not just that you know you're living for, like you're living extremely free. Um, it's that uh, yeah, you're, you're. I mean, your story. It's it's not. I mean, your story is inspirational to a lot of people, as you said. Um, so I don't know. That's that's uh, that's. Yeah, and I we were sharing it. And I shared everything that I did for three years, including police chases, our trip here, all of that. I shared everything as it happened for two years. And then it all came to that, you know, that halt. And, like, one of the big consequences of it was it made a lot of people question their commitment to anarchy. Like, do I really want to be involved in this? Because I could lose my life. Well, they recognize a lot of people are pretty scared individuals. So it's something that's made me wonder. And I get like people contacting me regularly, like, Hey, do you realize this could be what happened? Like very much. So that's why I share a lot less about my life. That's why only people that I'm really close to know my location at any one time. Right. I'm still living in anarchy. I'm still doing all of it, but I'm just, you know, I share. I think I shared enough about my life to where the story's out there and it inspires people and people can contact me and I can be like, yeah, I'm still living like this and that'll inspire them. But I, the idea of sharing everything as it happens is just like, it kind of makes me sick a little because I expect to see some, you know, another Paul around the corner. I'm also extremely mistrustful of most people from the United States that I, especially sure. ones that I didn't know before the murder, especially those who are ex-military, I'm extremely mistrustful of their intentions just because, well, I mean, I learned a big lesson the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I am happy. I, I guess I, I am happy to hear that. Um, I mean, yeah, you've, you've, you've locked down your, you've locked down your security culture. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a really, really good thing to, really good thing to, to hear. And it, yeah, I mean, we did. Uh, Jason Booth and I. This would have been probably, I don't know if it was a couple weeks or a month. I, I don't remember um, how, how long after it was. But we did an episode called "A Coercion, a Coercionless World Is a Utopian Fantasy," and uh, we talked. Uh, I guess we, we kind of just, and, uh, I guess. Uh, 
we briefly talked about uh, about the murder and what happened. But I mean, yeah, I, I, a lot of people don't realize, you know, I, I guess um, in, in some sense, um, you know, well, obviously the in the servile society um, with with the fear mongering, people people are are scared to death of all sorts of things. But most of those things aren't aren't, aren't actually real threats. Their their threats uh, assessment to their risk assessment um, is super flawed. Um, but you know, like the the world is uh, you know a, a dangerous place, especially for anarchists. So. Yes, it's it's interesting to hear. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you live. The United States, Mexico, Africa, you know, everywhere it's kind of dangerous to live the way we do. Everywhere is enacting things like know your know your customer requirements for exchanging crypto. Like, mm-hmm. there are no free places on this planet. And I keep having people ask me if I want to go back to the United States because it's less dangerous. And it's like, look, like. I'm more likely to be randomly shot at a movie theater in the United States than I am to be shot by cartel in Mexico. Yeah. Like, tell me how that's safe. You know, like my, my Nana, she told me a story about how a friend of hers, I'm pretty sure was in Africa and he was coming back to the United States to be with his family. And his friends were like, are you sure you want to go? The United States is a very dangerous country. You know, like there's no place that's safe. It's just about finding a small group of people that you can trust in an area that is relatively quiet and living your own life in a way that doesn't, you know, like part of what happened, if I'm being honest, is we tried to help the wrong person, somebody that was in a downward spiral. And John insulted his ego by being John, who could insult a lot of people's ego. That was, you know, people, a lot of people had a love hate relationship with him because he was very critical and, he died because he couldn't hold back his criticisms, you know? That was part of why Paul was so angry with him was because he was like, look, you're not living to your ideals. You mooch off of people. You use people. And Paul couldn't handle that. And, well, one thing led to another. At this point, the other big lesson I've learned is just worry about my own life and let other people worry about theirs. It doesn't matter to me at the end of the day if other people follow anarchy. All that matters is how I do it in a way that keeps me safe. That's all I can affect. I think there are too many people mm-hmm. out there like arguing with people online and arguing with their friends and telling them they're doing shit wrong. And like, even if you're right, what the fuck does it matter what other people do? <laughs> how does right. that affect your life? If it doesn't, you know, then fucking let it go. It's just life is too goddamn short to fight with people over over stupid shit. And I find that I change a lot more minds. Like, a lot of people are like, stick it to the vegans, Lily, with the carnivore diet. And I don't get into fights with vegans. When they try and fight with me, I don't engage. All I do is I share my experiences and I ignore their bullshit. And the unintended effect is I have convinced without even trying probably more than 30 vegans and vegetarians to start eating meat again just by sharing my experiences and not shoving it down their throat right it should tell people something about anything you know it's part of why i didn't continue anarchoforco is like we were trying to get people to do what we wanted and people were resistant just because you know they're lazy you know a lot of them don't actually want to live and work in anarchy and so we ended up doing most of the work and i was just like not this year no thanks 
you guys do shit your way, I'm just going to continue to live in anarchy, do the agorism thing, and build the life that I want to live in. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're exactly right. And I mean, uh, you know, go, uh, going back to what we were talking about with, uh, you know, the, the world being dangerous, dangerous for anarchists. Well, um, you know, with, with, with a lot of with uh, proselytizing and being extremely open with um, a lot of the views that uh, that that uh, individual anarchists hold, um, you know, towards, uh, you know, government, military, um, bludgies, things like that. Um, I mean, this is uh, to, 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 to folks in the survival society, like, uh, you know, it's to a lot of them, it's a religion. So if you're always out there on on fascist book or always out there, um, you know, and, 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 you know, physical space and time, um, you know, um, trying to trying to convert people. Um, well, it's 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 not hard to piss off the, you know, to, to piss off the wrong status to where they could, you know, call the call the bludgies on you and have, you know, um, for a red flag law or something along those lines. So so yeah, uh, one, yeah. one of the most discouraging things I see is like, anarchist people spending days having 700 to a thousand common arguments oh, yeah. with each other about shit that really doesn't matter. Like even the fr- flat earth shit. Like I think that's stupid, but like I won't argue with people about it because like it doesn't really fucking affect our lives one way or the other. If the earth is flat, we still have to eat. We still have to, you know, make money and put a roof over our heads and live our fucking lives, raise our kids, raise our animals, whatever we do. Like, I think people are getting stuck too much in circular conversations and discussions and being edgy by arguing with people and proving them wrong on controversial topics. And it's like, it doesn't matter, dude. Like... It really doesn't matter. Like, you can... Subjective morality, who fucking cares? Like, move on with your life. Why don't you go outside and you go and you build something good? Like, instead of bitching about it on Facebook. That's probably one of the most annoying things is people being like, I don't like what this guy's doing or what this guy's talking about, so I'm going to have a 700-comment argument about it instead of going out and using my time to build what I'd actually see. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I I definitely agree. I definitely agree. But you know that that's kind of the the general. Unfortunately, it's it seems just kind of just just how things generally are. Um, people like to do a lot of talking, but not a lot of acting. Um, when it comes to, to talking about anarchy and advocating for advocating for freedom, that's one thing. But when you try to, you know, as I mean, uh, as I've done since, uh, yeah, since the, the the direct action series, since the Free Member of Direct Action three or four years ago, um, when you try to get them to do something, it's just excuses, excuses, excuses. So yeah, um, yeah. Anarcho Forco in a lot of ways was extremely disappointing because the idea was great, you know, letting people build the schedule because everybody is like, oh, I wish I could speak or oh, I wish I could do a workshop in Anarcho And then like we give them the chance to do it in Anarcho and they're like, tell me what to do. And it's like, we were just so disappointed in people by the end of it. It was just like, why did we even bother? Like, and and at this point, like, I just accept that most people don't live like me. And I also accept that I don't need most people to live like me. I just need, you know, my small group of friends that I can trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And then the rest of them can just go pound salt. I'm good. Like, I don't need a big group of people. You know, I have a lot of people that follow my story and stuff like that. But I fully recognize that most of them, when push comes to shove, are not going to stand up for themselves, let alone for me. So, 
I don't put too much faith into it. And I think it saves me a lot of disappointment because, yeah, there's there's not enough action in this community, in the anarchy community. It's all like, let's share some funny memes and let's go to conferences and hang out with each other. But I think a lot of people know that it is really hard and that, you know, you do have a lot of risks. You know, Ross Albrecht is in prison for life mm-hmm. because he anarchied too much. Yeah. I don't blame them, and I don't even blame them necessarily, you know, like, right, my yeah. life is a lot harder than most people's because of what I've done, but, yeah, I just don't, ex- I've stopped expecting people to be like me, and that's fine. <laughs> right, and, and, and to a certain extent, it's understandable, right? Um, you know, like, uh, um, you know, the state, I mean, that's what they do, they chill dissent. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not surprising at all, especially, you know, with, uh, you know, with people who built, you know, who built up pretty substantial lives in the first realm before they came to these ideas, who have families and, uh, families and things of that nature. Like, I, I can't even imagine it's, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be even, even more difficult, even more difficult, uh, if you have, if you've got, you know, uh, you know roots established in, in the first realm in the servile society. So, um, to a certain extent, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly understandable, but I mean, <laughs> obviously it's, it's, uh, you know, if, 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 it's kind of like uh, I, I guess the thing the thing comes to mind is uh, you know Larkin Rose is the tiny dot you know if if people really wanted wanted things to change um, they could change but um, it's it's yeah it's it's the chilling dissent it's the perception that and and obviously the state's a dangerous enemy like that's that's w- without a doubt but you know if if if, if people really yeah wanted, they have more they guns they have fighter pilots they got nukes they've got all this stuff to fight us. And, like, it would take a lot of brave people standing up all at once because if it's just one person standing up here and there like it has been, well, that person gets bitch-slapped around by the state. You know, Larkin spent three years in prison. Like, I almost spent a lot of time in prison and now have lost everything I cared about. And there's, you know, the loss of a life because of it. Like, yeah, that's, that's something that I didn't necessarily realize when I got into all of this was that, like, for anarchy to really work and to take over the world, like, everybody needs to do it at once, not just, like, a couple guys here and there, because it's easy to take down a couple guys here and there. It's right. just, it's real easy. <laughs> Right, and and I guess this, this brings to mind something else. I mean, a, a lot of people, a lot of people see politics as this as this fucking game as entertainment. Um, like a, some of the folks on Instagram that's that I that I, I that I, I come across, um, who like it, it's all it is is about dunking on the left or you know making fun of the left. Like that's that's all it is. It's just fun in games. Um, that uh, you know, like like politics is a joke. It's like no people, real people's lives are are, are affected by, um, you know, by by the state. Uh, you know, businesses are, businesses are, are, are destroyed. Um, the war on drugs toss it you know i think it's a million people a year get tossed in cages for um for victimless crimes for 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 drug crimes um i mean real people's lives are affected you know john was killed um, i mean obviously if you look if you look back at at, at you know what uh, you know why you guys were in, in mexico to begin with well what you know what was the root cause of that well the war on drugs it was the state so real free people real people's lives are affected by by the state um and yeah yeah that, that's something most people don't think about is like in the United States, for I mean, some people's lives are lost, but for the most part, the war on the, on drugs is kind of like a figurative thing. It's kind of just like, you know, it's a philosophical war. But like in places like Mexico, the war on drugs is a full out blood war. It is, you know, people are dying every day over stupid shit because drugs are illegal. You know, like a couple weeks ago where I'm living, which apparently this has not happened, at least. 
um, where I was staying, like the people have been here for almost 30 years and this has never happened in the time that they're living here. But one of, one of the big national cartels moved in in the middle of the night and wiped out the smaller established cartel in this town. It was mm. over an hour of firefight with automatic machine guns and fucking grenades and all this stuff like just sounded like a war movie fairly close people dying you know like it's not a joke it's not just this you know this political war as a lot of people say it is in the united states like the only reason this war exists here it's not because like something else to note is like there aren't really drug addicts in Mexico. Like, they exist, you know, but, like, it's in terms of epidemics and a lot of the poor being addicted to drugs, that's not a thing at all. It's not. They actually, like, the cartel are known because they don't want that here. They're known to kill people that get too addicted to drugs and get too disorderly over it. All the drugs that are, like, you know, for the drug war violence that happens here, all of that violence has to do with drugs being shipped to the United States because yep. it's fucking illegal to have drugs. Right. So because all the violence here is happening. It can be, it can be a worth, result of the United States. Right. Like, uh, like the, the coca plants themselves might be worth like $700 for, for a kilo. I don't know the prices or the amounts, but just tossing out a ram $700 a kilo in Colombia, but, or in Mexico. Um, but whenever they get transported over the border, this, the price just skyrockets. Um, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, you know, and from it's an all because of the illegal market. It's all because of the risk that's, it's all because of the risk involved in moving it into the country and throughout the country. That's the only reason. If there was no risk, like if you could just sell Coke from your pharmacy the way it used to be, there would be no risk. It would be cheap as hell, and it just right. it wouldn't be the same system. And there also wouldn't be as much usage because part of the reason that drugs are so used in the United States is they're stigmatized. They're like this taboo thing. And, well, you know, humans and their taboos, they love them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely true. Um, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I didn't, didn't, uh, didn't expect that conversation, but I'm, I'm glad we had it. I'm glad we had it. Because, I mean, that, that's one of my biggest frustrations is I, I hate when people, you know, just think that, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, like, uh, and this, I, don't, I, see this whole, I don't see this a whole lot in, in anarchist circles per se, but like, uh, especially on like, you know, uh, especially on the right, um, you know, some of these, uh, these younger conservatives, um, you know, politics is a game. It's just entertainment. But no, re- you know, real people's lives are affected. Um, it's, uh, it's. It's, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a dangerous world. Uh, it certainly is. So, um, I guess, um, where to, uh, where, where to go now, uh, go check back in chat. Looks like we got some messages there. Um, so, uh, Phoenix, uh, ask what's the exchange rate for pesos to FRNs? Um, isn't it, isn't it 20 pesos per, per dollar? It's still around there. It's like, it fluctuates between 17 and 19. It's been a while since it's been 20. Currently, I think, like, most banks will exchange for, like, 18, 1890 is what they have listed on their little bank board for U.S. dollars. Okay, gotcha. Um, and he's uh, another question. Uh, Lily, what do you think about Larkin's Candles in the Dark? I like the idea of it, but it's one of those things where, like, he's just one man, and he can only have so many events. And, like, the whole thing is about learning how to talk to statists and I guess I'd have to attend it to be able to have more of an opinion on it. But I mean, I'm not one of those anarchists that's like, 
you got to go out there and you got to do outreach and you got to get status converted because I just, you know, I just don't give a shit. And I've converted plenty of people. Like, I've woken a lot of people up. I have people message me nearly daily like, hey, you woke me up to the horrors of drug war. You woke me up to this. You woke me up to that. And, like, most of the time it's people I've never talked to. Like, right. My experience, the real change doesn't come from conversations with people. Most of the time when I've tried to have conversations with people, even when I'm just trying to have, like, friendly discussions, they don't take you seriously. They don't take you seriously until you're living it. Like, for example, my sister, she didn't take me seriously on everything from, like, you know, circumcision to taxes to the government until I disappeared from her life for a few years, went and really lived it, and then came back and had, you know, all these experiences to show her how things really are. And yeah, same with my dad. He didn't take me seriously at all on any of this, whereas at this point he understands, you know, the stuff that I was trying to get him to be aware of. And those are people that were open-minded to anarchy and volunteerism i just i i'm not convinced that talking to people either online or in person is you know like the most influential things about larkin rose for me because he he influenced the hell out of me and is a big part of why i'm an anarchist but the reason like he inspired me was i listened to like this three-hour podcast with him and jan Irvin where he talked Mm. about what he went through as far as the tax thing was like most people just think he's an author who's sitting there bitching about Trump on Twitter. But like what got me to really respect Larkin Rose is his resistance to the tax system and the consequences of it. Yeah. That was what got me to wake up a little bit, you know, another example that isn't Larkin of that sort of thing is I, I credit uh, Derek J. Freeman a lot with being why I became an anarchist and he is because when I was 18 I watched J- Derek J.'s victimless crime <laughs> spree on YouTube right yeah and I was like and I was like there that's you know that is it you know he wasn't sitting there telling us shit he was showing us what silly stuff he was doing and the sort of opposition he was getting for it. That was, that was the stuff that I've noticed really gets people to pay attention. It's never like some people, it's the philosophical stuff, but, but for the grand majority of people, for regular people, it's not you sitting there talking to them. It's you sitting there existing in a certain way and them observing, you know, what happens. Right. I have a lot of people who are, you know, they follow me just to see what happens because, you know, I'm still doing what I'm doing and being who I am. You know, not much has changed other than where I'm living and in a lot of ways who I spend my time with. But, you know, my actions are still the same. I still get paid in Bitcoin. I still advocate for cryptocurrency. I just, you know, I'm just not convinced, like... And I think there is a second wave of anarchism because the first wave of anarchism is what I call the talking heads. It's the people on YouTube like, you know, taxes are wrong and the Federal Reserve is wrong and here's why. Whereas that got, you know, a lot of people to pay attention. But if we want the masses to truly pay attention, we need people out there like, here's how I'm actually living in anarchy. Here's how I live off of crypto. 
you know, here's how I do this. Here's, you know, how I make my money. Here's how I'm an entrepreneur. You know, it's real world examples. That's part of why the carnivore diet has gotten so popular and why I originally tried it. It it wasn't like, oh, the science is sound and it makes sense because that's what our ancestors ate. It was all the people on Instagram who are like, hey, I healed this. I fixed this. I, you know, I had chronic arthritis. Now I have no pain. You know, it was all of the actual experiences. (laughs) Right. I I didn't, I didn't understand the science until I was actually on it for like two or three months. (laughs) So, or at least understand some of the science behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. The big, the, the big world changing ideas that are actually taking hold and really changing people's lives are the ones where, like, the people pushing it are just like, these are my experiences. This is how it's changed my life. And, like, oftentimes you can see a clear difference or you can see the beauty in what they do, and that's what changes the world. It's not like, oh, God damn it, the United States is oppressing these people again. Oh, man, another innocent man shot by cops. Like, yeah, we know that's happening. Let's talk about a solution and put them into action and talk about what happens there. You know, like a lot of, like the Bundys, they woke a lot of people up because they actively resisted and then they got squashed for it in some ways. And people were like, oh, that's not OK. You know, it wasn't the majority of these talking heads on YouTube like the government is oppressive and has been forever. Like, yeah, we know that, you know, and on some level, most people know that. But it's like the one thing that I I was like when I first became an anarchist is like, I determined I was an anarchist and I basically turned to John and was like, now what life sucks. The government hates us and is out to get us. How do we continue? How do we build? Like, how do we live life in a way that's actually enjoyable? Like what now? Like too many of these people are just like, yeah, this all fucking sucks. This is awful. This is awful. This is awful. Look at this terrible meme. Oh, man, another kid killed. Or, oh, man, this happened. And it's like, but where's the solutions? Right. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm right there right there with you. Um, and uh, it's it's good to hear someone else say these things other than other than uh, other than me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that's uh, um, and, and, and I, I have been seeing it um, over the over the past year or two. Um, obviously, it hasn't been thousands of people. Um, but you know, I've seen I've seen individuals, uh, you know, pursue, you know, Vani lifestyles, I've seen them, you know, make these radical lifestyle changes in pursuance of freedom and actually, you know, living in anarchy and, and, uh, you know, pr- pr- yeah, pursuing that increased personal freedom. Um, so I think it's happening. Well, that's why but, I call uh, it very the slowly. second wave. Yeah, I think, I think that's why I call it the second wave. Cause you know, the first wave of people like it, like got people interested in anarchy to a point to where they were like, okay, I'll at least listen to you because listening to you on YouTube isn't going to risk my life. And then now there's enough people that are like, all right, I've had it. I've had it with taxes. I've had it with the U S dollar. I've had it with, you know, United States cops. So you've got, you know, there are a lot more people out there. And then the first wave of these doers, as I call them, which I'm, I guess I'm part of that are going to inspire the next people like, Hey, you know, it can be hard, but it's worth it. And after that, it's just, if everything, you know, goes right, then it'll just be a situation that's hard to stop. Because everybody, like, when Bitcoin came out, like, I heard a lot of theory, like, yeah, the state is done for. 
And then it's like, okay, but, like, everybody was too busy talking to each other on YouTube and not actually living it and using it. So now there's a bunch of KYC requirements and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is way harder to use than it was in 2011, 2012 when I got involved. Mm -hmm. So, like, none of these solutions, like, are going to be viable if people don't actually start using them you know people just theorize about it like if i had a fucking dollar for every person i saw on facebook talking about the pros of cryptocurrency that doesn't actually use it (laughs) i would be fucking rich (laughs) oh yeah bitcoin's here to save the day do you have any bitcoin well no i've never bought bitcoin or i've never worked for bitcoin and it's like okay how is it gonna save the day if nobody uses it or if it becomes, like, Bitcoin specifically, it's become so hard to use that, like, there are way less, like, merchants that accept Bitcoin now than there were ten fucking years ago. Like, what the fuck? You know, we're supposed to gain more adoption, but no, everybody's too busy fighting over philosophical bullshit about lightning networks and all this stuff. And it's like, I mean, just fucking pick something and do something with it. Or else we're going to lose our solution. And, you know, you see people like Roger Veer trying to do that with Bitcoin Cash. And it's just like, and people hate on him for it because they're like, oh, he hates on Bitcoin. Well, he's hating on Bitcoin because it has some serious problems. It shouldn't take like three hours to send a cryptocurrency transaction. You shouldn't have to spend like there was a point recently where I had to spend like seven dollars to send a a Bitcoin transaction and it still took a fucking day. Like, that's not how it's supposed to be. How is that better than PayPal? It's actually worse than PayPal because you have to buy the Bitcoin and then send it and then wait the same amount of time and pay the same fucking fees. What's the point? But like, yeah, people are too afraid to risk things, you know. John, like, when we got into cryptocurrency, he bought his first coins at $9 a coin using student loan money. Who else did that? I don't know anybody else who did that. I bought my first coin at $35 a coin using my my tax return, basically. People are too afraid to risk what they have to help make this fear better, but they're all just like, somebody ought to. It's like, well, you happen to be somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose I, I disagree. I disagree a little bit on the on the on the Bitcoin. Uh, I guess uh, on the on the on the Bitcoin thing, but yeah, obviously since since you edit the podcast and and you'll listen to uh, the one with Max Hillebrand as well. But that's 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 uh, that's, that's okay. Reasonable reasonable people disagree on on things, and and it's and it's okay. But the, the most important thing is that you know we're both focused on action. See, like I, I don't care if uh, I don't care what the action is, as long as uh, you know they pursue it and it's consistent with volume, consistent with freedom, those sorts of things. But uh, it looks like we've been going for about uh, an hour and ten minutes here, and uh, yeah, do want to uh, to respect your time. Uh, let me see here if there's anything else I wanted to cover. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the carnivore diets. Yeah, we talked about uh, the stateless documentary. Um, I guess let's let's talk a little bit um, uh, a little bit about uh, um, you, you mentioned some of the things that you do for work. But uh, people want to hire you. Uh, what are some of the skills and services you offer? If people want to donate to you and, and help support you, uh, how can they do that? Um. Well. The services I offer are, like, pretty broad. I have a lot of different skills um, because I'm, you know, I I mean, some people call it ADD, but I get, I get bored very quickly of what I'm doing. So, like, 
if through any given day I do like so many different things from you know cooking to writing to editing photos and taking photos to crochet to sewing to like pretty much anything I can um so long as it's you know somewhat in line with my beliefs like recently as you obviously know I've started the podcast editing thing which is a lot of fun but it's also something that I didn't do before so I'm quick to learn things but the main things I do are like writing I do transcription I do editing and proofreading um I make all sorts of crafts I'm gonna be as soon as I can afford the glass I'll be glass blowing again I've cooked in the past. I'll probably have a meetup at Anarchopolco during Anarchopolco at some point, you know, to do some smart cash outreach. I do promotion. I do social media management. It's pretty much like anything that can be done remotely or like, you know, if people are willing to wait a few months to have something shipped to them in the United States, like I can do pretty much anything. So far, the only thing that I don't really do and that I don't really venture into is sex work. Like I'm not really... I've had some people ask for photos and stuff and I'm, I I respect the institution of sex work, but I have zero interest in being involved myself. (laughs) Sure. I'd rather find other ways to make money. It just, it doesn't interest me. And that's, you know, that's fine for me, but yeah, I do pretty much anything. Hopefully soon I'll be doing some customer service for um, a cryptocurrency wallet. And if I do that, then I'll be making, more than enough money to handle my legal situation and everything all in Bitcoin. But that's, that's something I'm basically waiting on. Uh, but yeah, hiring me, you can contact me either via Facebook or you can contact me through my website, highlyfunctionalgrowth.com. There's like a contact form on there. There's also a donate page where you can donate to my cryptocurrency addresses. If you don't use cryptocurrency and use like PayPal or something, I have friends that I can have received the donations and they either send me the cryptocurrency or give me the cash, depending on which friend I use. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it at this point at Enercapulco. I'll be, you know, they're accepting donations. I'll ask for them during my speech for anybody that wants to help me get off the run. Anybody can come up to me afterwards and, get my address and send me a little bit of crypto or they can hand me cash if they want to, whatever. And anything that I make from that. And um, if people are interested in going to Anarchapulco, I'm an affiliate and any of the money that I make as an affiliate is either going to go to getting me started glass blowing again or getting me legal, whichever seems more, you know, helpful at the time i might just you know spend a couple hundred on glass and then worry about the legal stuff or i might just if i find a lawyer that's like i can get rid of this i just need this amount of money that all is just going to go to legal fund because i'm tired of having the you know i'd rather live in anarchy while still being able to travel without fear of being put in a cage especially because i have drastically changed my lifestyle like I, I don't take nearly the risks that I used to. I don't like, I mean, most people don't know this, but it's been like a month since I've even smoked any cannabis, mostly as an experiment, but mostly for budget and mostly because I don't want to be involved with the cartel system at all, even for buying cannabis at this point. I don't want to be connected with it. I'm trying to make my life a little bit safer, sure, a little less risky, easier to sleep at night. <laughs> 
But, right. yeah, basically, you know, contact me if you want to find some way to support my efforts. I know some people are a little worried about just sending money. I've had, like, my, my glass blowing setup was donated, and the guy knew that that money went towards that because he paid for it and had it shipped. People could do the same. Like, if somebody wanted to sponsor me for glass blowing, you know, they could buy the glass and have it sent and I can have it brought over. That's an option too. Um, that way they know it's going towards what they, what, what I tell them. Cause yeah, I don't have anything else to spend the money on, but I know that a lot of people are like, how do I know there have been a lot of scams in this community of people collecting money for donations and that money just going towards everything from drugs to travel. And that's not, mm-hmm. it's not what I'm trying to do here genuinely trying to rebuild genuinely trying to free up my life a little bit more right right yeah and uh certainly yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend uh yeah hiring lily like as, as she said she uh she does uh some proofreading editing work for me she uh she uh edits a podcast now which uh yeah she didn't do that before um but yeah she figured it out first episode came out great so um, yeah she's yeah certainly certainly recommend uh recommend hiring her and uh, supporting her however you can um and uh do you want to uh plug your website one more time um, yeah, the website. Uh, her website is highlyfunctionalgrowth.com. You can go there, uh, learn about uh, all her services uh, if you want to support her, um, all that good stuff. And do not think so. Anyway, yep, highlyfunctionalgrowth.com. I'll put all of those links uh, in the show notes. Um, for uh, yeah, when Lily listens to this uh, and edits it, um, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, for for coming on. So I sure do appreciate it. Um, and uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, let me take one more look at the live chat here. Phoenix of Liberty. Talk to Ernie Hancock and Anna Polko about getting in touch with Mark J. Victor. He is an attorney who works with activists. Okay, um, I'll make sure to uh, to pass that along to her. Yeah, that's uh, that's valuable uh, valuable tip. Uh, thank you, uh, Phoenix of Liberty. I, I sure do appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, that's all I have for you. If you uh, do want to support my work, uh, Libertarian Type Publications is the best way to do that. And uh, I will mention, uh, you know, as uh, as we talked about already, uh, if you do uh, if you do uh, use us for uh, proofreading and editing services, uh, we do have a special going on until January first, fifty uh, percent off. Uh, if you do hire Lily, or if you do hire us, then there's a very good chance that uh, you'll be uh, supporting Lily indirectly as well. So yeah, if you want to check out our books, libertarianattack.com. If you want to take ten percent off your order, use coupon code Self Liberate. And uh, would certainly certainly uh, uh, recommend the Self Self Liberation bundle. Uh, we try to make uh, you know, the books as cheap as possible, and uh, that one you get uh, all dozen of them for uh, I think it's eighty five dollars. So it uh, comes out uh, you know very cheap per book, um, especially compared to, to the individual uh, I guess the individual book costs. So uh, thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. And uh, until next time, I'm trying to think of what the, the next episode, the next live stream will be. I'm actually not uh, not hundred percent sure, but uh, yeah, I'm back back in the routine of podcasting, back in the routine of live streaming. So uh, yeah, whatever the next one is, hope to see you guys there. And until next time, let's build the Agora and let's build second realms.